Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Before I introduce today's speaker, I'm just going to read the passage for this morning, which is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God man. So it's my pleasure to introduce today's speaker. He was the president of my Christian union at university and now he's preaching today. Give it up for Adnan. What Natalie didn't mention is that she was actually the one leading. I just had the president title but she, she did all the work so Uh, It's so wonderful being here, uh, worshipping with you guys again. I don't think I've been back since late last year, I think it was, when I was last here. Um, So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Adnan. I'm one of the leaders uh, of the Myland service uh, of Christchurch Christchurch London. Um, And it is a pleasure to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke uh, on chapter 2, verses 41 to 51, as Natalie beautifully read out. Um, But before we dive into it, I just had a question just to start off with. When was it that you first felt grown up? Do you feel grown up? When was it that you first felt a sense of adulthood kicking in, like really kicking in? For some of us, maybe it was when we started walking to school on our own. Maybe for others of us, when we started making our own meal or went off to university, we left our parents' home or we started our first job and got our first paycheck. Uh, Whatever the case, there are often moments in our lives that sort of are a key marker for us in terms of a shift in maturity or responsibility. And this, of course, varies for every one of us, depending on our family, depending on our friendships, our culture, um, our circumstances in life. For instance, if you've grown up in a, in a single-parent home, you've probably had responsibility thrust on you from a very early age. You've probably had to help with the cooking, 
help get uh, your siblings ready for school, kick them out the door with you, walk them there. So you probably had to shoulder a lot as a young child. But for a lot of us, even though we may look grown up, we still don't feel it. Uh, a few years ago, there was a nationwide study that found that around one in 10 people over the age of 18 in the UK didn't see themselves as fully-fledged adults until they reached the age of around 27. 27. Uh, there were thousands of people that were interviewed, and for half of them, they said that they only really started feeling like an adult when they were in their 20s. And a fifth said it happened in their 30s. One in 20 actually said they didn't feel grown up until they were in their 40s. There was one, one lady commented, and she said, I have an 11-year-old, a 7-month-old, and a husband, and I still don't feel grown up. So what are the signs of growing up, especially in our culture and day? Well, I think it's kind of difficult to know, especially... Uh, particularly in the UK, we, we don't really get a coming-of-age ceremony. There isn't like a, a quinceanera for girls or a bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah for boys, is there? But here we are looking at the story of the boy Jesus. And here we get a little glimpse of this boy coming of age. He was growing up. So back to our passage, here is Jesus, he is 12 years old, and the last we read about him in Luke, he's a cute little baby, he's about six weeks old, and he's first presented to the temple in Jerusalem by his parents. And now Mary and Joseph have returned, we've, we've, we've skipped 12 years, we're, we're head, in, he's 12 years old now, and Mary and Joseph are bringing him back to the temple in Jerusalem for the year, and for the festival of Passover. But this time... Jesus decides to, to do his own thing. And while Mary and Joseph had, um, had finished all the, the festivities, they, they set off back to Galilee. And Jesus stays back in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I, I can't help imagine this story as, uh, as an Asian kid who has a Bengali mum. And I just can't help but think the repercussions I would face if my mum had to go searching for me for three minutes let alone three whole days. Um, growing up, uh, <laughs> if I would lose anything at home, or if my mum had told me to go find something and I just couldn't find it, the worst possible words I could ever hear her say is, if I have to come up there and I find it, and I tell you what, it didn't matter what it was that I had lost or couldn't find, after hearing that, I would make sure I found it. It would be found. So here we have an extraordinary instance where Jesus goes missing. But not because of childlike wandering. He's not just sort of like zoning out while he's following Mary and Joseph and just gets lost. But something else entirely. He's starting to understand his purpose and responsibility. All we're told between the time Jesus was six weeks old up until he's 12 now is that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. That's in verse 40. And according to Jewish customs, when a boy was 12, it was a year before he'd actually be considered an adult. He'd, he'd be considered a man the year later at 13, and he'd be responsible for his own actions. In fact, they called them the son of the commandment. It was their responsibility to start learning God's law for themselves and actually start practicing it. So the parents have taken him up to Jerusalem 
during this time, during the Passover. And he'd be shown probably the different parts of the holy city, the temple and other parts, preparing him for this transition into adulthood and the responsibility that would ensue the following year when he's 13. And just to say, it's probably quite easy for us to fault Mary and Joseph here, thinking, how on earth could you leave your kid behind? But let's be honest, we have probably all watched Home Alone, and we know how it can happen to poor little Kevin McAllister, not just once, but twice. So Mary and Joseph would have been caught up with a whole caravan of people making their way out of Jerusalem towards Galilee, probably thousands of people making their trip back to their regions. And some authors actually think that Mary and Joseph would have been caring for other younger little kids that they would have had. And Jesus would have actually been seen as one of the responsible ones, one of the maturing kids who was close to becoming a grown-up. He'd have been actually able to walk independently of his parents and with the other larger group of pilgrims that they were with. It wasn't uncommon. So they most likely just assumed Jesus was, uh, was with them amidst all their friends and, and relatives and town, townsfolks as they left uh, for Galilee. So why does, uh, why does Luke include this story for us? Why, why is it here? What's its purpose? Luke's the only one that gives us a peer into uh, this, this part of Jesus' life and is on the verge of his teenage years. But here's my theory as to why. Do you know when you watch the start of some films and um, often there are these like really random objects or scenes or characters that are there at the start and they, they seem very random or misplaced even at the start, but they only start making sense when you go further on in the story and the plot sort of unfolds a bit more and towards the end you're like, ah, I see now. I get why that was there at the start. I get why I saw that, even if it felt a little bit misplaced at the beginning. Uh, I recently watched the film um, Everyth uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I mean, just to think of a really random but genius film, that's probably one of them. Um, you see stuff from bagels to googly eyes at the start, and you're just like, what have I gotten myself in for? And it only starts making sense. I see one person at least knowing what I'm talking about. It only starts making sense as, the, as you reach the climax and towards the end of the film. Anyway, I won't talk any more about that or spoil it for you. But I think Luke is doing something similar here by including this story at the start of the gospel. He's setting us up for something. He's setting us up for when Jesus would return in his 30s back to this very temple in Jerusalem. And he would be heartbroken at the greed and exploitation that was occurring in what was meant to be the most holy and sacred place. Uh, in Luke 19, we see that he drove out those who were exploiting the temple for profit. And Jesus passionately declaring that this is a house of prayer, not a den for robbers. I wonder if you could have the next slide, please. He then goes on to teach there every single day. And even a few chapters in, um, in chapter 21, we see that Jesus continues to return to teach at the temple, his father's house, as he calls it, every single day. So what Luke is showing us is that the passion Jesus had for his father's house wasn't just something that, that sort of popped up in his 30s. This is something that was in him, a, a, a passion and a desire since his youth, since his young age. It was right there from when he was young. Jesus loved the temple. 
He loved teaching at the temple. It's where he belonged. It's where his father's presence dwelt with his people. And yet, we see very clearly that Jesus also made it clear this wasn't the ultimate way God was going to dwell with his people on earth. In fact, he prophesied that the temple building would be destroyed. Back to 12-year-old Jesus in verse, 20, uh, verse 46. We read that after Passover ended, it took Mary and Joseph three whole days before they found him in the temple. Now, I don't think Luke's just giving a little coincidental detail here. This could very well be foreshadowing what was to come when Jesus would be found, resurrected three days after he was killed. It was foretelling something about Jesus' own connection to the temple. And we see this connection in other Gospels too, such as John. Uh, And in John we read that Jesus, um, back with the religious leaders, remember he was 12 years old, communicating with the religious leaders. Well, here he is again, communicating with them, and he says this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews replied to him saying, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? So I'm, I'm from East London. I just think of these things in Cockney sometimes. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Both Luke and John are showing, Je- are showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of what the temple was always, always intended to be. He is our new temple. The temple in Jerusalem was a center, it's a very epicenter of people's worship and prayers and offerings to God. But now, our worship is not directed towards a physical location, but a person. And it's through Jesus that we have our meeting place with God. It's through him that we get to experience the Father's presence to the full. And it's in him that we find forgiveness for our sins. We can enter freely and fully, not fearing whether we have the right animals to sacrifice or the right clothing to wear, or the right words to say. And just as Jesus felt free to enter in to his Father's presence, so we now share this access because of Jesus too. Something I've been pondering is this. Did Jesus know all this as a 12-year-old? Was he, was he aware of this? Well, I, I don't know. And I guess we can only really speculate. Maybe he did to an extent, but maybe he grew in this awareness as he grew older. But I think one thing is quite clear, that Jesus was becoming more and more self-aware. He's becoming aware of his identity, who he is. He's becoming aware of his purpose. But even more than that, he's growing in an awareness of God's presence. He's growing in an awareness of God's presence. Uh, Just as a side note, So think for a moment. Maybe try and tap into your memories. And this might depend on your uh, stage of life as well. But when you think of your best leaders that you've ever encountered or had, whether they've been in your workplace or in church or university or school, it could even be family or friends. I I tend to think of uh, my history teacher, Mr. Bujo. He was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, I also think of one of my first bosses when I worked in retail. Just think of some of your best leaders in life. And when you think of them, what quality do they have? What qualities made them a good leader? 
or even the opposite, if you've experienced bad leadership, what qualities do you think they were lacking? Well, there's a lot of research into this by Gallup. And can you guess what the most important quality, according to the research, is? It's self-awareness. I, I, I didn't know this until Lars from our Stockwell service shared this a few weeks ago. Self-awareness. There's something about being self-aware, knowing who you are, what you're here for, and why you're here that makes a difference to whatever position you're leading in. It makes you aware of how you affect the people and the environment around you. But as Christians, we have something way more vital and important. We have an awareness of God. We have, we have a spiritual awareness of God's presence, which makes a difference to the physical world that we're in. Jesus was uh, growing in his awareness as the son of God, his identity as the son of God. But he also goes on to obey his earthly parents. He was also responsible to them as a boy. But what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus today? How are we to live in light of Jesus' passion for God's temple and an awareness of his presence? Well, thankfully, uh, we have two apostles who shed some light for us in this area, both Paul and Peter. So just to read out what Paul and Peter say, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And then Peter says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are now Jesus's house. We are his temple. And this temple is unlike the one in Jerusalem, it's indestructible. And Jesus is just as passionate, in fact, I would say more passionate about this than the physical temple in Jerusalem. We are the temple of God right now. And we are a sacred people, a spiritual house, precious to God. And this isn't just for when we, we gather here together on a Sunday. We remain the temple as we scatter on throughout the rest of our week through Monday to Saturday. Imagine this, where you are tomorrow, wherever you will be, is where God's temple is. Every week, now I don't know the context of every single person here, but every single week when we, when we scatter out, we're in offices and volunteer groups in supermarkets and care homes, sports teams, banks, lecture halls, seminar rooms, canteens, hospital wards, cafes, government offices, um, shop floors, warehouses, and so many more contexts. We are the scattered people, the scattered temples of God. You are God's temple in these places. You carry his presence. And these places might not be places we pick for ourselves. They may not be the most fulfilling places that we find ourselves whether in our jobs or homes or places of study. 
But the fact of the matter is, we are there. And this actually might be a powerful truth that we need to embrace as followers of Jesus. We might be in these places right now because that's exactly where God wants us to be. That's exactly where God wants his temple to be seen and heard and felt. So just think for a moment. What does God's being God's temple mean for you wherever you're heading tomorrow morning? Many of us might not feel like we're heading into our ideal day or into our ideal week. But this is where God wants his presence to be known and felt. And as his temples, we get to offer an alternative to the culture surrounding us. The temple in Jerusalem marked a very different story to any other temple in any other city. It marked the story of God with Israel. It reminded the Israelites of God's power, of God's presence, and of God's promises to them. And we now, too, get to live and tell a different story. We get to live it out. I I love how author and pastor Neil Hudson puts it. He says this, Each week in our gathered worship, we tell a different story about the world. We sing and pray about a created world, a fallen world, a redeemed world, a world with an eternal future. And this truth alone marks us out as different from many people. As scattered disciples of Jesus, we are different. The challenge is to live out the implications of that call. This is why gathering as a church really matters. This is why Sundays are so crucial for our discipleship. It fuels us for every other arena of life, Monday through Saturday. It reminds us that we are part of a different story, and we are living with a different purpose in mind. Because the issue is, if all we did was remain scattered, then we're at risk of burning out. We're at risk of losing our distinctiveness. We risk conforming to the world around us, living out its story rather than the story of Jesus. And that's when our mission as followers of Jesus really feels shaky. That's when the temple starts feeling less sacred and starts looking like everything else surrounding it. Being God's temple means that Jesus is at the center of our identity over and above anything else, anything. It involves our entire lives and will last the entirety of our lives. God's temple in Jerusalem always stood out. It was distinctive, not just how it looked on the outside, but actually how it was organized and arranged on the inside too. What went on inside and outside of this temple really mattered to God. It's a question for us also as followers of Jesus, as his temple. Where are we at on the inside of our temple? How is it going on in here? Is it reflective of God's presence and his love? And how is it looking on the outside with our actions and our behaviors? And maybe this is a challenge for us as communities as well, being honest and transparent, being able to confess to each other. And maybe it's a question to ask each other. How are you aware of God's presence? Are you aware of God's presence? Is it making a difference for you? Jesus was aware. 
And we too are called to be aware of God wherever we are, to be his temples. But perhaps like Mary and Joseph, we have lost sight of Jesus. We feel like we're in a place that we've lost sight of God. Maybe we've lost sight of his presence for us in our lives. Thankfully, you and I don't have to travel all the way back to Jerusalem in order to find him again. But God wants you to know that his presence is available right now and he can always be found. He calls us to be aware. Mary and Joseph thought that they had lost Jesus, but Jesus was actually where he belonged all along. He was in his father's house, his temple, which is now in every single one of us who follows Jesus. He meets us right where we are. So here's an encouragement for me and you to practice being aware of his presence every single day, to keep reminding ourselves of where he's at work with us in our lives every single moment. What does that look like for you? What does being aware of God look like for you? Let's have our ears open. Let's hone in our senses to what God is saying and practice what he's called us to do with our gifts, our talents, our personality, with an awareness and attention to God's presence. Again, this is something we can help each other in as a community, right? We, we, we're not called to do this alone. It says that we together are the temple of God, sharing with each other how we encounter Jesus in everyday life. And maybe that's what we need to practice more, sharing the practical ways that we ourselves find helpful of being aware of God's presence. Uh, just to almost draw this to an end, I just wanted to share a couple of stories that I found really encouraging uh, for myself. And these stories um, are from a devotional journey called 40 Faces, 40 Places. And this is uh, a collection of, of people who are sharing how they um, experience and are aware of God in their everyday lives. And, and some people in, in this journey uh, come from Christchurch London, have contributed to it, and you may already know them. I've actually asked them if I can share this, and they said it's absolutely fine. They'd be delighted for me to. Um, there's a girl, a friend of mine called Navina, and she's a music producer and singer-songwriter. And she says that she becomes aware of God's presence as she creates a message for each of her projects, wanting to bring a sense of his spirit into her work. And despite pressures to conform to popular culture and pressures to prioritize what sells above authenticity, she works to create music that spreads joy and peace. Imagine more people living as God's temple, aware of his presence in the creative industry. And then we have Anu, who works in digital marketing. And she says that she's often faced with feelings of imposter syndrome in her leadership role as she manages and leads people in teams. And she says that reading God's word has to be her bread and butter. It has to be the first thing that she thinks about when she wakes up in the morning and she needs advice. And as she does, she becomes more aware of God's promises in the face of apprehension, difficult clients and misunderstandings. Her awareness of Jesus in her work helps her to be patient with difficult people. Oh, how we need that in our workplaces. It gives her the confidence that God has put her in this role for a particular reason, for a purpose, and for that person. 
Imagine more people living as God's temple, aware of his presence in the world of digital marketing. And insert your context here as well. Where are you? Where is God building his temple? Where is his father's house? And the places that we find ourselves will change. We will change as well. Uh, as we get older, as our social circles change, we'll look different, we'll have different abilities, different friendships, different activities. But Jesus' mission never changes. His mission doesn't change. We are called to live the way of Jesus each day of our lives. So as a wise man once said, if Jesus had your diary today, what do you think he would drop? Where would he stop in your busy day to be aware of God? What would he prioritize in your busy London schedule? We are his temple. And we have the daily promise of his presence with us, wherever we are, wherever we go. And maybe you're here and you really need that awareness of God right now. You need that awareness as God's child right now. Maybe you need your father to shed light on your circumstances with whatever you face coming your way. Maybe it's a difficult conversation, a difficult deadline, or difficult, difficult workload that's just been thrust on you. A responsibility that you have that you just find so burdensome. And here you have Jesus, the bearer of your burdens. Come to him. He's aware. God is aware. Wherever you're at this week or so far this year, he hasn't forgotten you. His promise is that he'll never leave you or forsake you. In fact, Jesus says that the Father knows every, he's aware of every single hair on your head. And that is more for a lot of you than it is for me. He is aware. God is aware. The question is, are we, are we seeking to be aware of that? And I wonder if, if the band could come back up. Sorry, I should have called you up probably a bit earlier. But I wonder if we can do that right now and just practice being aware as we align our hearts in prayer and align our hearts in worship to God. Let's ask God, God, help me be aware of your presence today and tomorrow. Help me to grow in this awareness. I wonder if you'll stand with me and I'll pray for us and hand over to the band as they lead us. It's Jesus. Lord of our hearts, King of our souls. Lord, we stand here together as your temple. Temple of the living God, we, we bring ourselves before you. And Lord, we stand here as as weak vessels seeking your presence and power and strength. Lord, we might be here feeling as if we're anything but a sacred temple. I feel like God is reminding you right now that you are holy, that he has called you by name, that you are set apart for his glory and that he washes you clean, and that he renews you and restores you, that he is 
passionate about his house, about his temple. And though wherever we have been placed may feel battering and bruising and difficult and challenging, God is lighting the candles within his temple. Set it ablaze once again, Lord. Help us be distinct. Help us tell a different story. Help us be aware of your presence, O God. We are in your house, and we never leave that house, Lord. Wherever we go, you are with us. Home is where you are, Lord. And you have made your home with us. So God, fill us right now. And Lord, if there's any of us here feeling like we've lost sight of you, we've lost sight of your presence in any way, Lord Jesus, help us know that you've been here all along. You've been where you've belonged. Help our eyes and our hearts to see you, God. Refresh us this morning with your presence. Refresh us this morning with your passion and power. This Holy Spirit, blow in this room, I pray. Blow in us afresh as you fill the temple. As you fill the temple in Solomon's time, Lord, we know that you would ignite a greater fire than that in us. Yes, Jesus, thank you for your presence. We worship you, our God. Amen.